want people who are fully developed to mirror yeah. me, to, to embrace me as I embrace them by nature and with love and with kindness. And it's not easy, but it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think we, we as women, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I think we as women have to lead that path with each other because mm -hmm. we as women are not always taught that to survive, yeah. to, to surround ourselves with loving, nurturing women. Women can actually, you know, I don't even want to go down that road, but we as women need to make a commitment to yeah. actually really surround ourselves with really integral, non-toxic, loving, spirited, want to celebrate you, want to see you succeed in all aspects of your life with no agenda, but just from a mere loving space. Yeah. And I think that I think that that's actually not the norm, which isn't great, but I, unfortunately, I don't think that's the norm. I will say that as I've gotten older, I've learned to navigate where to find that bill. And I think it takes, it takes brain power to do that. It takes give and take trust, but like knowing your surroundings, but I do think it's a t obtainable, but it's definitely, it, it is a tricky road um, because you do have to put yourself out there, but understand that, you know, not everyone's going to be on the same thinking plane as you. So, but no, I don't think we're, I don't think we're taught that from a young age. If you were, I, I, you should feel very fortunate because I don't think that's the norm. Um, it was not my norm. Um, it really wasn't until in my thirties that I really realized that and not from like a selfish way, like not in a way that like, I didn't want it. It's just that I had never been around that. I didn't realize yeah. what creating that kind of space really felt like. And yeah. when I started doing that, though, things really started changing for me in the best and most positive ways. So I just think that it's more one of those things you have to be cognizant of and just and realize, like, is, is that what, what the goal you're trying to obtain? Because is this something you've even thought about? Because, again, when you're not brought up with that, it's not until you maybe have a conversation like this or you're listening to a podcast or, you know, I just think that expanding the brain in general <laughs> everyone yeah. could do a little bit more of and then you, you you start to find those niches and those those places where you you can find that but it really takes opening your eyes first and open and opening your brain so that you can get get to that kind of place excited. I am all about Women's History Month. I love, love, love women. I love my girlfriends. I love my mom, my grandmothers, my sister. I love celebrating women. I love meeting new women. I love collaborating with women. I love sharing how we are inspired and who are inspired by. So this 
episode, I am so excited to introduce Kimberly Paget. And it's ironic because we did just meet. We just met on a project we were working on and it's just really funny how life happens and how many things that we had in, in, in similar uh, connection from Pilates to dance, performing, pivoting during the pandemic and um, also being Sicilian. <laughs> But more importantly, I'm so excited to be able to share this time with Kimberly and share who she is, what motivates her, what inspires her, and what you'll find relatable. I look forward to you listening in. Hold for your seat. Gather around the campfire. Here we go. Hey, Kimberly. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Excellent. Oh my God. I love it. In the studio. I love that studio so much. Thanks. The camera definitely makes it look um, larger than it is. <laughs> hey, whatever it takes. I'd like the camera to make me look as small and slender as possible. <laughs> yeah, it's so it, it, I look at it on the screen and I'm like, hmm, that's much bigger than it actually is here in person. <laughs> Yeah, but how much, I mean, the joke is how much space do you really need to do what, what you teach and what you do? And that's a beautiful thing. It's like the oh, yeah. perfect amount of space. So before we get much further in, I want to just say thank you so much for accepting being a guest of mine here on my Camping yeah. Uncensored podcast. And um, it's super cool because as I said in my intro, you know, I love raising women up. I love connecting with women. I love celebrating women, being Women's History Month. It's a really big deal to me to just shout out because there's a lot that we, you know, life will test you with. And so it's really important for us as, as women, as a tribe, not because we don't love our men and what have you, but to really know how to be a big, you know, open arm. How do we do this together? And you and I have beautiful, really brief way of connecting you and my chair. I last minute joining this project. Um, and just through our natural conversation, unprovoked, mm -hmm. did we come to realize we had a series of things in common or passions, that being Pilates and health and fitness wear and finding out we we're both Sicilian and the pivot through the pandemic. And I said, you know, I'd love to have you as a guest. And you said, yes. So this is how we got together. And here we are. So thank you so much for accepting the invitation. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I think that having conversations and connecting with people um, you maybe meet them in one spot, like we met on a job, and then it just grew pretty quickly from there. <laughs> so it's pretty right. cool. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and I think it I think it has a lot to say with and and both of us being that we're in these these fields that we're constantly shifting our environments. Mm -hmm. You have to remain open even when there might be moments where you want to just do anything but be open. You want to close up, you want to go into protection mode. Because we have a lot of experiences, what I call the toilet paper roll list of life experiences that that can really, you know, test you. Yeah. And so, you know, from that point of view, um, you know, here I was 
coming in on the very last three days of a project. Though, though I had been asked to be a part of it from the beginning, I had other things going on. So I knew that I was, as, as you can, walk into a new environment where people have already formulated their relationships or maybe in my case, in a makeup artist position, like people already have their people that they feel comfortable sitting in their chair. So you were just very open. And through that openness, you were able to receive, even though what, I mean, my initial giving was just my love to your face. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. Which was, which was more than enough in that moment because <laughs> it needed it. <laughs> Oh my God! You needed all your talents. <laughs> well, it was a joy to make you happy. <laughs> that that was one. That was one thing because I think in doing that, you create some sort of immediate trust. Is a big yes. word, but immediate yeah. sense of feeling safe, feeling heard, feeling feeling the role that you're there to play, yeah. feeling like um, you know we've created a partnership. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's so important being in that chair too, because I mean, you get it from both sides, from your side and mine, but you, you know, as well as I do that, like any talent that's going out there, you're already putting yourself in front of a camera and we'll probably get into this later, but I acting is a newer skill for me. I'm predominantly a dancer. So the role I was in was acting. So I needed to feel very comfortable. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> with everything going on outside of my control because yeah. I needed to focus on like what was going on in that moment and you 100% did that so thank you <laughs> uh, well and then I must say though though you know people will have to wait to, to actually see your performance I was god mad. now initially we did a little something in between that we neither one of us expected yeah. Um, that, that again, we won't give away. Yeah. And, and, and I think they were very happy because those are, the, those are, those are things that I, I have a lot of, you know, experience doing just deliver, get in, get out. Yeah. And, and to them bring you back to where we had started, not knowing, like knowing what I was preparing you for, but not knowing the power of what you were going to perform. And then you went to perform this unbelievable piece of movement. <laughs> and I know I was not alone. I'm sure there was, you know, let's say there was about, you know, 70 to 80 of us in that room, 80 or more in that room. I think we were all just like, oh, oh my goodness. It was so ridiculously gorgeous. And I've seen plenty of live theater and performers from very well-known to not established. And, and let me just say, you, you wooed me from the moment go, but that just took me over the edge. That's really sweet. Um, yeah, I, the, the world will get to experience um, the, the whole show in itself. But I will say that... Uh, my partner and I doing that. Um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty magical. I think for us as well, we were just like, whoa, what just happened? <laughs> so, cause parts of it were improv. Uh, I'd say half of it was improv. So amazing. that was just like, Ooh. amazing. <laughs> Honestly, I had no idea that that was improv. The fluidity alone, the connection, the ability to just ebb and flow, mirroring each other. That to me is like 
you know, there's certain things in life. It could be like you're meditating on a river, going down a river and all the perfect balance of nature and everything, the sounds and the nature and what all's there and present and like how that just rolls. Mm -hmm. This to me was the exact example of that along with like the perfect surgeon with their team or the perfect orchestra with all their music and the way they just, you know, play off each other. It just, that was what this was. So the fact that some of that was improvised now that I'm here, this is the first time I'm hearing this. Oh, okay, yeah. Just beyond, like, really, I, I'm standing, oh, though I'm sitting, like, really, unbelievable, girl. That's so I amazing. love that. Okay, so let's, let's, let's go back, like, yes. a little early. Let's just kind of start from the beginning. So where were you, where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Southern Maryland. So if you're familiar with the Washington, D.C. area our nation's capital. Um, I grew up about 45 minutes southeast of there along near the Chesapeake Bay. So was family in politics or military or education, any of those things? Um, so my dad is um, a self-taught uh, welder mechanic. He owns his own business. He's had it for well over 30 years, probably about how old I am. So over 35 years. Um, he is incredible. He builds tractors and he races them. And he also, um, is a farmer. So I grew up on a farm as well. Um, so we are one of probably the only black farms left in Southern Maryland as well. So that's a whole, that's a whole different side of me than the performing side. So that's, it's another entity of me. Um, so that is my dad. Um, and then my mom worked for the county government for, Whew, she just retired. So 40, 40 years, I want to say, um, maybe 30 years. Um, so she just retired in 2020. And now she's, uh, she's doing all kinds of stuff. She's doing pretty cool stuff. She's taking uh, uh, keyboard lessons. Oh. And she volunteers for Meals on Wheels. And she's just being the amazing human that she is. So those are my parents. <laughs> so let's, let's just highlight this for a second being a black owned farm in maryland how many generations we did discuss this but nobody you know nobody knows this yeah how many generations back does this go so my great grandparent correct yes so the property is now my dad took over the farm my grandpa is 92 still living i talk to him every sunday um he still lives on the property um and then his grandparents bought that specific property um so it's been in the family now for three generations there's actually a it's not on our direct property but it used to be part of our property it's a separate part of the family's property but there's a Civil War era house that is still on that property, which is pretty amazing. Um, and just a little tidbit, which I find exciting. It's actually not our family, but uh, there are grave markers like at the very end of that property from, yeah. I want to say this, I, I really don't want to get this wrong. It's either 16 or 1700s. I used to be terrified to go down there as a kid <laughs> because it was like a random, just like burial plot and it used to scare yeah. me child so yeah. I actually haven't been down there that much but I want to say it's late 1600s it's a family um 
it, it's like four grave markers that are just down there and they're just on the property. So it gets kept up like it's, it, it gets lawn mowed and they just, you know, are peaceful to themselves. But I always find that really cool because um, I started doing some history on that family. I won't go into that, but um, I just find it cool. There's just like another piece of history. Just well, I mean, first off, you're in Maryland, you're on the East Coast, you're above the line of South and North. Your yeah. black family. Just above. Just, just above. Ab exactly. Just above. Yeah. Just, just a breath above. Mm -hmm. You got generations of generate like before the turn of the century, like you're it really is civil war time. Yeah. It's pretty it's 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 really amazing. You know, as growing up as a kid, you don't see that. And then as you grow up, you start to see it more and then you start to see where we are in the world. And you just, I realize just how fortunate it is that we still own the property and it's still functioning. And hopefully one day, you know, I have two siblings, it will keep going and flourish and we'll carry on. My maiden name is Jones. Um, my last name now is Paget, um, but we'll carry on the Jones family and farm and just keep, keep that going. So. That's a, again another whole part of me that uh, um, that I love and it exists. Um, not many people get to physically see that um, because of the nature of my job and what I do outside of that. But it is definitely a big part of me. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, this is what I love about sitting around and people joining me around this campfire because how else would you know without you know? I, I mean. This is who I've always been, curious by nature. So I, I love asking I questions, not because I'm being, you know, nosy. I really think people are fascinating. This is an extraordinary story yeah. that most people, you know, it, it sounds to me so many inner, inner city kids who can be predominantly minorities never see anything besides cement, never mm -hmm. see land never get to touch their hands in the dirt and grow a plant, let alone have an animal yeah. or camp underneath the stars. Yeah. And so to have this family history that you're rooted from, that's your foundation, that you have present day three generations, but those generations go back so many generations because of the history of ownership yeah. and post, like, you know, when exactly did that deed occur? Like, Civil War, like there's just, I mean, to have the right to have that land as a black family, as yeah. a black owner, yeah. I mean, that that's a story in and of itself that I do not doubt has given you the strength, the integrity, the foundation, the moral value, the forthright like focus to no matter what you're faced with, your family lineage gave yeah. you that, those roots to like soar. Yeah, I totally believe in that. And it's even more interesting because I believe you know, it's all, I have a lot of family history in a book it's about Calvert County, but I believe that um, it was also my great grandmother that purchased the land. So it's very interesting because I think parts of it, and I don't want to get anything wrong because yeah. things, you know, you hear things through the grapevine sometimes through family. Yeah. But I believe that she purchased it. And then another portion of the property comes from the grandfather's side. But so the direct part that I think my grandfather lives on, um, I think my great grandmother actually purchased that. 
but got conjoined with her husband's part. So it just kind of got like put together. I think it used to be like much bigger than what it is. And then parts of it did get sold off, but it's, oh, yeah. it's pretty, it's fairly sizable. I think I was describing to you, it's walking onto that property is literally like a slice of heaven. Like I go there and it's, it's, it's just so pretty. I just want someone just, I want to hire a professional painter and just have them sit and just have a huge portrait of it because it's just, it kind of just, when you go in there, you get to kind of go back in time and just kind of, I don't know. It's, 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 it's simple in the way that it's not overbuilt. It does what it needs to do. There's cattle on the land. It's just kind of free. It's kind of just, it's just free of, of the world around you. So it's, naturally lined by trees so you're not seeing other properties around it either yeah it's just it really is a slice of heaven I I I love going there well and the fact that it's on the Chesapeake Bay on top of which it's near the Chesapeake Bay near the Chesapeake you can't see the bay but it is near it um that whole area is pretty magical it's so much history it's Beautiful. There's a lot of history. So if anyone's ever interested in learning about Southern Maryland, there actually is a lot of history. And more so, like you said, we're very close to the Mason-Dixon line. So it's a very interesting place to live because you have a lot of Southern influence and then you do have a lot of Northern influence. And Southern Maryland is definitely, I would say, can pull more from that Southern influence. So um, no doubt it's um, it's an interesting and as I grew up, I learned a little more and more about it. So, and it changes also, obviously it changes through time. So when we moved there or when I was growing up, the, the big thing there was like the McDonald's being built. Like I kid you not, like it was like, that was like the huge thing. Like there was not a lot of cars on the road still. It wasn't super developed. I go back now and I'm like, Whoa. Oh Yeah. I can imagine totally different so it's interesting to see how it changes and how it doesn't change it's interesting well and it's interesting I think I told you that I grew up in northern Illinois where there was lots of farmland as well and how it has evolved over the years gone from spans and spans of farmland to now just being taken over by subdivisions as people would sell off their family plots yeah and as and as we both know as you know, things have shifted with our food sources and and how certain lobbyists have come in and overtaken or, you know, you know, I don't want to say put the gun to the head, but there's just been a lot of things that I think have been challenging for family-owned businesses and growing up a third-generation family-owned business, um, you know, there's a lot to be said when you get to actually successfully carry on the legacy of a family-owned business, whether that was your intention or not, but the pride, and if you can, amongst all the things you come up against that's never ending, I just, again, I applaud your family because it takes a great tenacity. It really does. It really, really does. Like, my dad is, like, maybe one of the strongest people I think I know. Like, he, he, he literally carries that farm on his back. He does everything he ta- and helps take care of my grandpa. Um, he, he's, he, I think we talked about that. When you love what you do, it is who you are. So it's har- obviously very hard work for him, but yeah. I know that he takes, it, it's him. It's his pride. It's which I'm proud of. Like I'm extremely proud of, you know, what my dad has accomplished with the farm and it's, it's, 
it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. I will say. Very impressive. So impressive, but it, it also makes sense to, again, who the little bit of time I've had with you, who you stand for. And, and speaking of which, so you grew up on this farm, you grew up, you know, surrounded by family and this land and what have you. As a little girl, you know, when did you start dreaming about dancing and performing and being an artist? Like what, how did that come to you? Right. How does that connect? <laughs> yeah, um, seriously. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, it's interesting. I have two other siblings. We, we grew up on farms, but my mom put us in activities, <laughs> all three of us at very young ages, because my mom is not from a farm. <laughs> She grew up very different than my dad's family. So she, um, she was in the army before she got married. She traveled down, I think, to Georgia and was on the base down there right before she got married. So my mom and my, my grandparents on my mom's side are actually from Washington, D.C., the city. They moved to small cottages um, and then started a family. They start, moved down to Southern Maryland and started a family. So it's very different. So my mom put us in activities <laughs> as soon as she could because she wanted, she wanted to expose, she wanted us doing stuff. She wanted us to be in activities. So yeah. my sister did dancing, my brother did gymnastics and I did both. <laughs> um, so I started dancing and gymnastics pretty much around the same time. And yeah. then right around say, like middle school, I kind of dropped the gymnastics because I wanted to be more of the performing. I love the, I love dancing. I just, it was, yeah. Um, and then I grew up in a competition studio in Southern Maryland and competed um, competitively and did the studio for until 18, until I graduated. And then I went to college and had no clue what I wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> I literally, I, I knew I didn't want to go to school specifically for dancing. Yeah. Um, I loved doing it, but it hadn't immersed itself, I'd say, into my body the way it is now and how I connect to it now was very different when I was 18. So I had no clue what I wanted to do when I went to college, which I think is a lot of people. Um, and I auditioned for the dance team and made it there. So the dance team, I'll give them their props. Um, Towson, I went to Towson University. Their dance team team is, it's, it's, a, it's one of those teams. Towson, New Mexico? Towson um, in Baltimore. So I oh, in, in Baltimore, Maryland. forgive me. No, it's okay. Wow. I, I didn't realize there was another Towson um, in New Mexico. So well. And how do you spell it? Do you spell T -O -W -S? it T-O-W-F-T-O-W. That's, that's where my miss, that's where hearing it. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, the, so the dance team and the dance competition studio that you grew up, first off, does that competition studio still exist, do you know? Yeah, so, um, my dance teacher's name is Miss Julie. She still owns that studio, still competes. Um, it's still thriving. Um, so she's had that business. So she started that business, I want to say, just a few years before I started there. Mm. Um, my sister went there. My sister's five years older. So she's had the business for, I think she started it about 20, when she was around 20, maybe a little younger. So she's had the studio for a long time. It's still going. Um, and then, yeah, I, I graduated. I went to Towson and uh, danced on that team for four years and competed with them. So it's interesting because my early stages of dancing yeah. surrounded around competing. Yeah. Uh, 
I've always known that I wanted to do more than compete. Um, yeah. I'm very competitive. So that actually, <laughs> it, it goes well with my personality. Like I always say, if I didn't dance, I'd be like a soccer player or volleyball because I have like a very competitive spirit. So um, like I love doing, like I love gym class because it was my time to like compete and I could do field <laughs> hockey and like do sports. I might have been the best field hockey? Ever, right? I, I mean, in, in PE, in PE, I've never done any type of like sports outside of PE, but I love playing sports. Like if there's a picnic and there's volleyball going on, I'm there. <laughs> it's hysterical. I played field hockey through college. Oh, shocking. Wow. I know. Very shocking. No, but I mean, no. that's like field hockey is no joke. Like that's, I don't think, I don't think those girls on the offensive side ever expect this defensive end to outrun them. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, no, field hockey was a cool sport. But I, I like you, I love gymnastics. I did not do gymnastics. That was not my thing. I could coach gymnastics since yeah. I was a little kid. Like, it was just one of those things. Dance, I loved. Funny enough, I was not raised around dance competition that I was aware of. We performed. Mm -hmm. We did, you know, we were classically trained ballet modern tap that whole thing that led me into musical theater but that was oh. not like oh hey we got this dance competition studio I think those things maybe I'm wrong as I as I'm open to possibilities um I think dance studios as dance re-erected itself and became much more in the more recent times like I'd say 20-25 years I'd say 20 years, especially as it's gotten um, more of this uh, highlight in public, like on, um, in the media again, that it's become much more acceptable to be a part of those things. And there's a lot more of that around. I know so many people who are part of dance competition worlds, whether they're owners, leaders, mothers, competitors. And so I think that that's really fascinating that that um was your foundation and it's such a great foundation because it really can provide people with such a, a vibrant future that I don't think people think about even though dancers are not always like have the longest life of that of a career yeah. I mean depending on which way they go right yeah absolutely I mean yeah it's definitely different so when I so I you know, started competing competed through college and it's, it was so interesting because when I got to college, we all came from different backgrounds. So like, as far as the type of dancing we did too, some people were contemporary, some like did palm, like some, like, it's interesting because our levels of dancing and how we danced were very different. But what I loved about college was that we were like a unit. So like we worked so hard together to compete and dance team dancing is very different than studio dancing too it's like you are literally moving as one unit you can think yeah. about it like like a cheer squad almost but yeah. not that a different type of dancing but we just worked so hard to for one competition you know in daytona that's our nda is our championship it's so different than the competing world of a studio because you you have competition season so you're yeah. doing like 10 competitions whereas this we like there's some colleges that you perform for the football team you perform yeah. for the basketball team our 
coach was very adamant on we are here for ourselves. <laughs> like we are here to work. Like we would do maybe one or two football games for fun. And then yeah. we would use the basketball games to practice the practice for Daytona for our championship. And then we go and compete. So like literally during practices, our, our coach, I have to give Tom his credit right now, coach Tom, he was at Towson because he would literally pause the screen. Like we'd watch it on a huge projector. Like this yeah. is where my, like, I would say my dedication to like perfection came from. He yeah. would pause the screen mid routine and laser point and circle every finger and arm that was out of place genius and then we would watch it in slow motion and you would literally keep seeing the same thing so if you messed up you'd be watching it for like 60 frames and you just keep watching yourself yeah god damn that pinky <laughs> yeah like, like that's how we trained and it's and to the outside world it can sound very crazy but it made us strong and it made us we went through it together and i built my closest friendships from that team because we lived together we ate together we danced together we breathed together like I have such a community of friends out of that that I would have never experienced else I mean otherwise. that's that's seriously amazing and such a gift because a lot of people actually outside of their family units mm -hmm. if if unless they're fortunate enough to go to advanced education away from home they really kind of either go from leaping from that home if they have a home, a foundation, to the real yeah. world with no connection no, to building community and relationships outside of who they were born into, which yeah. really reflects in, in the world of career and just the world in general and how people carry themselves, communicate. I also think this is why you and I connected so yeah, easily sure. because we both have been raised in environments. I always use the example between summer camp and boarding school, the mission, the, 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 the statement, the, the motto at summer camp was learning to live together. Yeah. And boarding school, we were raising each other because we weren't, our parents weren't around. We didn't even know our backstories. We just knew that we were going to be there for nine months together, consciously yeah. or unconsciously. And this is what we're going to do. And, and, and I think that learning to um, compromise, negotiate, uh, highlight one another, learn to serve each other to, um, to, to that ultimate goal and, and to work as a team. Really, I, I, always look at, I always look at people successfully in sports. And I go, yeah. or the military. And I go, man, they were given some of the greatest gifts of training yeah. because foundationally they're they're just carrying all they're carrying a different bolt. They're leading a different in a different way. Mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's the mindset. I mean, so I came from a like I said, the competition studio, which we danced in groups, but it, I would say it wasn't until I got onto the team that I was like, I like being part of a team. I do like being a leader. I like, I like leading a team. I like being part of a team. Like I like listening and being part of it. I like leading it. And I didn't know I was such a leader until I got to college. It wasn't until I got into my zone that I was like, oh, I actually like leading people and giving them my point of view. And I, I have a point of view. 
So yeah. college really did a lot for me. Um, I will say I came from very, I'd say sheltered <laughs> to exposed to a lot of different kinds of people, just things. I'm very grateful for the opportunity I got there. And then I did get a degree. So <laughs> my degree is actually in electronic media and film. Um, I wind up falling into that, which is a glorified way of saying like I did production kind of videography, editing. It was kind of all tied into um, kind of one degree. So I fell in love with, uh, I love editing. Um, uh. I, I love editing. I, I, filming, I will do. <laughs> it's not my strong suit, but I love, I think part of who I am shines in my editing. Like I love putting music to movement. Like that to me is, it's, it's just, I, it's, yeah, it's like a dance. Like it makes sense to me. My yeah. husband and I owned a wedding videography company for a very short period of time. We did, we did a few weddings and whatnot. And I really connected to that. I love connecting the music to yeah. the, like finding those emotional shots and connecting that together. Like I love, I love doing that. Like, Honestly, uh, you're cracking me up because I was a trained photographer. I started very, very, very young as a little girl. Of course you were. Yeah, of course. And, um, and in camp, in my counselor, I started training in photography as a little girl. The influence was the daughter of the camp owner. She, she had the same career path that I wanted, which was a medical illustrator. So it was pre-med fine arts. So she really influenced me at the age of 11 and 12. Then I became a counselor. I started teaching photography at that camp as I was getting it in college to, from the fine arts, the film and photography, the pre-med, all those things. I was- Now I have to ask, I have to ask a question real quick. Does this camp still exist? Oh my God. It's in the the seventh decade. It's entering. Yeah, it's- uh-huh. magical oh, magical cool. matter of fact my very first podcast was with that woman who is now the owner co-director her son of their two of her two sons followed me and my sister to the boarding school he went to now co-owns and directs and yeah it's it's pretty magical I mean, yeah, you know, you, you, cool. you're not even coming from the same parts of the country that these girls are coming from. And thanks to social media and what have you have been able to stay and re- reconnect and all the things. But again, I trained little girls with oatmeal boxes, teaching them daguerreotype photography cool. to then understand light and shadow and composition, go into the dark room and in that dark room in quotes, a real dark room learn how to develop and from there then took their cameras whatever they had at the time their little Kodak Instamatics or you know a little bit more advanced and by the end of the season of camp season we would take those photographs and I would take the soundtrack and build a story of a final film so to speak to the camp that would create all these emotions I did it in boarding school as well I did and you know, I was thinking about that re- quite recently, like that really was part of, that is part of my truth is taking imagery and music. I mean, I, I, 
mean, the funny thing is, even on the show that we met, I was DJing music, but it wasn't my intention. At one point, I made the running joke, oh, I was just hired to DJ in here. Because I <laughs> like, people were asking me, like, who's that? Like, is, is this, like, some station? Or, and I'd be like, just, no, this is just my soundtrack. <laughs> this is just, just going to do a blend here. The soundtrack um, to my life. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. So getting back to you, so that that's amazing. But again, editing, I also was trained in editing. And I always said the beautiful thing I thought about editors, though I don't know that each and every one or any of them think this, is I do think it's a dance, knowing a beat, knowing how to transist out, knowing how to, knowing what point to like go in and get out. I also think your dolly grip. I always mm. said, as a, as a potential director, I would actually ask my dolly grips to dance for me to music mm. before I hired them. Even though the DP hires them, I'd want to know how my, my dolly grips move. Yeah. No different than my steady cam operators. Because yeah. they've got to know fluidity. They've got to know how to come in and how to come out and compose a shot all at the same time. That's yeah. an art and a layered art but that takes oh, a really absolutely. internal sense of fluidity that you and I both understand and I've never really I've really had this conversation with anybody so the fact that of course <laughs> I mean you know peel back that layer of that onion of course naturally so I love yeah. that that resonates yeah. with you so you finished with the dance team. You now have this amazing foundation of knowing how to work together with all different kinds of people, creating success, you know, being able to negotiate, manage, be a team player, being a leader. Then what did you do? So I, so my senior year of college, I was like, I actually, I had fallen in love with my major. Like I did not set out, like I said, I went to college and I didn't know what I wanted to do because dancing had always yeah. been. Like, so that's the problem when you get immersed in something like that. You're like, oh, what else am I going to do? And to be honest with you, I mean, the internet wasn't what it is even in the early 2000s. Like no. it's, it still wasn't. And we didn't have shows like So You Think You Can Dance and all this no. dance around me. And I didn't have a lot of mentors mentoring what I could do in the dance world so right I was like all right dance is going to stay with me but I'm going to maybe start trying to look outside of that for maybe jobs with my actual major so yeah. but come come to I guess what happened was that my senior year I actually auditioned for the Baltimore Ravens their cheerleading squad because I was gonna I, I I just started dating my now husband and I was like, oh, you know, I'll stay in the area and uh, I'll have this to do, this fun, you know, way yeah. to kind of going and maybe look for jobs within, you know, the production side. Um, so I auditioned for them and made it through the final cuts and I got cut. So I was like, okay. Um, and uh, then I was like, all right, like that's not going to work. And then a friend of mine that I actually danced with on the dance team was like, why? Uh, I'm trying out for the New York Knicks, their dance team. And I was like, okay. And she like invited me to go to the audition with her. And I was, I, I had maybe heard of what the Knicks were, but I'll be honest with you. I don't really follow basketball that much. So yeah. like, I love them, but yeah. like, 
I didn't, I knew it was in New York. That's about it. Um, so it's so funny though, because she wound up going on a cruise ship with her now husband and she didn't go to the audition. <laughs> so oh, it's funny. Terrible. Yeah. So it's funny because I had another friend that was living in New York. She went to college up there and she was going to the audition. So she was like, why don't you just come up and stay with me and go to the audition with me? So that's what I did. And it was a week long audition for the Nick. And I had no clue what I was walking into. I had no clue. Like, I just, I didn't realize what the Knicks meant to that city to begin with. I yeah. found out real quick, but I didn't know that because I'm not from New York. And then I also didn't realize that their dance team was also like very prominent, like a very, like most dancers, like aspire, like they, they, they know the Knicks dancers. Like they, it's like a team that a lot of people know about and dancers in the area would love to be a part of. So I found that out real quick when I showed up for the audition and there was like a thousand girls that auditioned that. It was like their biggest year of audition. So I was oh, 21 man. coming out of college and going to New York and I auditioned for this team. It was a week long audition. They made cuts every day. I had been to New York, but with my dance studio and as a kid, so like I knew of Times Square and that was literally it. <laughs> like we didn't like leave Times Square. So yeah. I didn't know how to navigate the city. Mm. And I, I was staying with my friend and um, she had gotten cut early on. So she actually wound up going home to Maryland and I stayed at her place. So I remember going into the train station for the first time and walking in and literally walking out. Like I never even saw a train. I walked in and went, nope, walked out. The auditions were at Radio City for the yeah, yeah. Star. And I walked from about, I think her apartment was on like 80 something and the rock, and that's on like 30, 30 something. I want to say in the 30s or yeah, I don't remember where Rockefeller, Rockefeller Center. Is. Yeah. I walked from her apartment to Rockefeller every day for auditions. Yeah. I would leave about two hours early. Yeah. And I would walk in the summer yeah. in the heat, audition. And walk back to her apartment because I was like, I had no money to take a cab. <laughs> Thank God you didn't have thick thighs because they would have <laughs> your thighs would have been rubbed raw. That would have been me. Just saying. Well, I was sweating. I can tell you right now, I was sweating because it was like August or something, and it was so hot in the city. So I was already sweating by the time I got to the auditions, and then I would walk like however far it took home. I will never forget walking to that train station for the first time and going, absolutely not. We're gonna walk. Yeah. So I walked and um, the last day of auditions came and it was interesting because So You Think You Can Dance was like starting to get very, like it was the beginning of that. Yeah. So our final audition was at a popular nightclub. They had rented it out for the night and it was So You Think You Can Dance style. So there was three judges on one side. There was three judges on the other side. We would come down two at a time on these like staircases and we would dance. And then somebody would give us feedback. Like, I remember that the person that gave me feedback, his name was Dan, Dan Kennedy. He was a huge choreographer at the time. And I was like, I remember like seeing him, like taking class from him at workshops when I yeah. was like 12 and yeah. like being like, oh my God, I love you so much. And then in that moment, he was the one judging me. He's like a hip hop dancer and I'm not. So I yeah. remember getting dancing and like waiting for his critique. Like, and his critique to me was something along the lines of, um, like you need to give me a little more grounded, but great job. And I was like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> I 
I remember being so relieved because they were giving like real feedback. Like not everyone got great feedback. So I remember like getting that and going back upstairs and then just being in that moment and being like, what is going on right now? Like, like a week ago, I like started this journey. And right now I'm auditioning in front of a choreographer that I knew as a kid and loved at a nightclub in New York city. And my husband now had taken the bus up to New York and he was in the audience, like watching me. And then they announced the team and I made it. And that was, that was the next five years of life. I was a next city dancer for five years and lived in New York. Yeah. It was my first professional job right out of college. Um, and it was the best thing that could have happened to me because I needed it. I had gained some independence in college, but New York was a different level of independence. Um, oh, yeah. I don't like asking for help. I was just out of college. I had no money. <clears throat> I moved from apartment to apartment. I had a long distance relationship. Also, and then being on the team, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. was a lot. Like we did a lot. I mean, there would be during the season, we'd have three games a week, two practices, outside promos. I mean, and we would learn routines every week. Sometimes we'd learn a routine, we'd clean it and perform it the same week. So mentally it was draining. Physically it was draining. New York City, New York City made me the person <laughs> help shape me into the person I am today. It was, and then being a part of a professional organization too. Yeah. So you're not only a dancer, you're representing a very big entity. That's a big responsibility. I mean, we do media appearances. We would be on television. We went through media training. I learned how to talk to people. Believe it or not, I've become very comfortable talking to people, but growing up, I was an introvert. Like the person I was in high school is not the person I am now. Like I was a fly on the wall when I was younger. I would just sit back and observe. That was me. Um, I was very much introverted. I did a lot of activities. So people I think thought I was very outgoing. Yeah. But I was at nature very much. I'm a fly on the wall. I'm just going to observe. I'll, I'm friendly to that. I, that's just, I didn't grow up with that personality. So like, I even remember at the Knicks audition, they had like a booth, like when you got done dancing, you were supposed to go and talk to the camera and like, tell them about your experience. And I like skipped it. <laughs> like I straight up just didn't go because I was so nervous to talk to the camera. It wasn't required, but they were having people do that. And I literally did everything I could to avoid that. <laughs> um, so throughout the experience of that, like we did media training every year, like how to handle interviews and things like that. And it really helped because I got used to just talking to people, you know, just carrying on a conversation, which is a, when you're not born with that, it's a huge deal. There's an art (laughs) to it. And it's really funny that you tell me this because again, I knew I mean, in those, in those, like, again, those three days that you and I interacted, which was really only two, and I really only did your makeup the first day. That's the joke. And yet the, the, the third of the three days was when we had this other pretty deep engagement during this window of time, because I had the opportunity to touch you up. Again, lots of stuff was spilling out of both of our mouths very quickly in a very loving 
like, wow, light bulb moments. But as I sit here and listen to you, I knew nothing about the New York Knicks period of time. That's a, I love that story. I know a lot of women who have been a part of other sports teams, a part of their cheerleading, you know, where they also have these amazing connections, amazing success from that point forward into their present day lives um, where they're, they really do know how to, you know, raise each other up. They really know how to work together. And they know it's not about just them. They know that they're representing. And because of it, it shows. Now, and what's yeah. so also interesting with what you said about being introverted, you still actually have that very, as, as we would all have, you still have that very quiet, shy, introverted self. Yeah. That, that, that would not be something that if you look down a trailer in a makeup trailer, you to me would not come off as the one that needs to be heard, the one that needs to be seen. You are, quiet, you are still quietly that observer. Even though you're integrating, you're interacting, I think you carry yourself with such grace that that's not something that you walked in with like the sandwich board of or the neon light scrolling up and down going, and these are all of my things that I've done. I just love that about you because it makes you sexier. It makes you more delicious. It makes you more relevant. It makes you just inspiring. It shows the empowerment of just what I call keeping a secret. And it's not a secret in a, like an, uh, 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 an affair sort of way. I mean, like the power of that foundation. Like, do you look at a house and go, I, I know exactly how that house is built. No, you don't. Yeah. Like, you got to get under it. Like, your foundation is just so, it's just so becoming. It really is so cool. I just love it. So my God, tell me something about being a part of the Knicks. When you were there for the five years, was that a year-round commitment for you? Because that's a seasonal job, technically. So for you, was it around the year commitment? Yeah, it was. Once I moved up there, I was there. Um, So typically, they hold auditions in the summer. Mm -hmm. And then our rehearsals start at the end of August, beginning of mm-hmm. August, it depends mm-hmm. on the year. Yeah. Um, and then preseason starts in October. So we're, I mean, yeah. we're practically for three months before, because there's a lot of games in basketball. Long I mean, season. Long game, but it's a yeah. long season. So yeah. we already have X amount of dances ready before the yeah. season even starts. So preseason starts in October and then can go until what, May, April, May. And then auditions are usually sometime in the summer. So it is maybe there's a month, grace, two months grace time, but there's also promotions going on. Like we, you know, we do different events throughout the city. So, I mean, fortunately, I was in New York City. So there's always something going on. So um, that was always great. And then I did what's called the New York Liberty, the women's basketball team, which was always so, so much fun because it was, I mean, I love dancing with the Knicks, but it's a little more stressful than what I did with the Liberty. So with the Liberty, 
it was a cheer like dance squad. Yeah. And uh, I danced with that. So it was just fun. And that season basically was on like, it crossed over to the men's basketball season, but it was predominantly in the summer. So for two summers, I did that. So that made it completely year round. And some of it overlapped if they wanted to play off. Genius. Did the Knicks but, um, play in Madison Square Garden or? So, oh, yes, the Knicks played at MSC, um, <laughs> which is another cool part about that job. I mean, again, I didn't grow up in New York. I have yeah. basically never even think heard of Madison Square Garden before I auditioned. Yeah. <laughs> and then very quickly, though, before auditions were even finished, I mean, for one, my auditions were at Radio City, which was already like, yeah. what is it going on right now? Like, yeah, we auditioned where they rehearsed. So that was already crazy to begin with. Coming from where I come from, small town, that was already crazy. Yeah. And then I, I don't think I'd ever even been in a basketball arena. So like my first game, <laughs> I mean, you learn quickly Knicks fans. And that was um, a very interesting season for the Knicks. There was a lot going on. So people really took to the dancers. That's how I'll put it. People really just took to the dancers that season because that was like the most positive thing going on. So like, but it was packed. I mean, yeah. and be and like knowing what MSG was and the world's most famous arena, like understanding what that meant and going onto that court. I've been very nervous for many things in my life um, with competing. Yeah. And it was one of those moments that I was like, like <laughs> the eyes were like, what is going, like running out onto the court and waving and like waiting for the music to start is kind of one of those feelings that you never forget. Like I might not oh, yeah. remember like the moment it happened, but I remember the feeling of it. And it was like, it was kind of that moment, like, whoa, like I did this. Like it was my first professional job. Like there's, thousands of people in the crowd screaming and like we're performing so like that's it was kind of really sensory cool. overload that's a little, yeah yeah like you get off and you're like what just happened and it was sure. also it's also it's also interesting because um so the Knicks was um kind of similar to my dance team in the way that like we were very every dance team I think has its own like way to it mm -hmm. we were very like um like my, my my coach or the the um manager for our team and for entertainment had a came from a dance team mm -hmm. so not only was she the dance team like overseer but she was also the entertainment overseer so she like really took to like clean lines and she understood dance team which made us just that much more and Amazing. I come from that background so like when we would go on the court, there was literally cracks on the court and we, they were named and we would like have a literal position on the court so that if someone was filming from the side or from the front, our lines were very clean. So, you know, you run out on the court and you go, oh, I'm not only my dancing, but like, this is also <laughs> very important. And like our higher ups, like sit high, like higher ups in the company, they sit yeah, yeah. high. They will give feedback if our lines are like not correct. Like they take oh. note of that. Yeah. So like there's a lot going on in that one. You're the brand. You are the brand. <laughs> yeah. 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 No question. And it's so funny because <clears throat> I just um 
the new HBO show that's coming out on the Lakers. Uh, I was mm. a part of. So that whole um, uh, just, you know, it doesn't matter what, what you know, that because that's your entertainment. But listening to this and being a part of live theater and being a part of, you know, creating these these whether it's live performances with a-listers or just being in these huge arenas with all these live audiences and and the energy that takes course be it dance shows like a dance with the stars to you know big arenas with major performers that i'm aligned with um having that sense of being able to show up you've made a decision you've shown up you've gotten the job you know you have to bring value day in and day out you have to have your shit together because you can't you you gotta know how to find your strike your balance here you are a new girl in a new city in a a first professional job in a big brand with a lot of opinionated people big personalities lots of money on the shoulders and on one hand, we're all these like little intricate pits of the energy that source this whole big little planet, so to speak. Yeah. But it's all yeah. plays importance because it's like a domino effect. It's like a rock in the water effect. And your part as an effect on the next woman or the the owner or the player or the or or, or the, the people who are buying the tickets. It all just plays off of each other in this very world-renowned famous arena. Um, I just think that's brilliant. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Thank you. Yeah, it's it really was an amazing experience. I mean, MSG had a whole makeover, I think, the year I um, stopped. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, I don't know what the hallways look like anymore, but there's a kind of tunnel and hallway area before you go out and there's pictures on the wall back there if you've been back there of all the this is like what really I think this was part of my first game experience that I was back there and you you see all the people like the Billy Joel and you know you see all the people on the wall that I performed there and then like the oh, yeah. big game like the one thing that's burned into my brain, it's, I, get, I feel like it's so random, but I couldn't tell you the two people, the two teams that were playing, but it was, I think, a March Madness. I think it was like a, a, a tournament game. And you see the two guys jumping up for the tip off and you see they're in like triple overtime. Like you can see it in the picture and you just like that picture for some reason forever is burned in my brain. I don't know. I, it was a huge game, obviously. I couldn't tell you the teams, but I remember like every game, I just stare at that picture because you could, and then the crowd is like cheering. You can just feel the energy in the picture. Yeah. It's just such a, I hope it's still there. Um, but uh, it's just such a cool picture. But yeah, you get to see all the people that perform there. And um, so yeah, my, my years on the Knicks were pretty amazing. They were amazing and one of the, I'd say the hardest mentally. Um, mm-hmm. I... I uh, was in a fight. I, my husband now, we started dating in college and we did long distance for five years. So it, on one hand, it was like the most amazing experience. It was great. And then there was a whole flip side of that, that I had no family there. I was by yeah. myself. I, I had made friends. 
Um, and yeah. I have good friends still from the team, but it's very different when you are in a city like that and yeah. you have a family um, and, uh, and a long distance relationship that I wanted to make work. So there's that whole other half of me that existed that definitely was challenging. Um, well, and that's I think an interesting thing to 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 uh, highlight because when you're in these very public, famous, successful arenas that people look to, you know, so you come from this farm in Southern Maryland, or I come from you know Northern Illinois, Southern Wisconsin, like you know, plucked out of the cornfields, basically. I mean, you know, associated with Chicago, but. Um, you know, and then you make it or you successfully keep showing up and getting these impressive opportunities. And then people who see from the outside, not even so much what maybe you and I are doing, but just the whole big thing. Yeah. And what they don't realize is that as fortunate as we are to have these opportunities and Maybe we didn't see this coming on our path of the big, big, you know, goal of like, how do we paint this, this picture of life for ourselves? Not all of it is easy. Not all of it is without its challenges. Not all of it isn't without its loneliness or sense of who can I trust? Yeah. Or, you know, is this where I'm supposed to be? And what am I giving up to get? Or you know, because people want to just immortalize it and glamorize it, but they don't realize. And I just had this actually happen, funny enough, one in another interview with somebody I was interviewing saying exactly that for this major production, this major celebrity they were aligned with, their personal experience was one of their worst experiences ever. But are you going to see that on the camera? No. I also on social media had somebody call out how I had been a part of a project that somebody just fell madly in love with. There are huge followers all over the world on this project. My experience turned very sour by the end, not because you're like looking, it's just like, so people don't understand that. Yes, I'm happy that people loved it. I'm happy that people were entertained by it. I'm happy that people were successful and I'm happy that I had the opportunity, but man, you don't sign up for like all the in-between the creases of like what the full picture and the story tells. And you're not there to be the, like the whistleblower. You're just say, no, but on the other side of that, that light can be the darkness. Yeah. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, you're still living life. I mean, Correct. there's life outside of what you're doing. So and I think when you're, you, and I think you're similar to me. So for me, it was always like, this was my decision. Like, I don't, I don't have to be up here yeah, and have no family around and be doing what I'm doing. Yeah. So, and I say that in a way of, in my brain, and I, I still think this way, but it has shifted throughout the years and life experience, but I don't want to. I don't want to bring somebody else down no. because of a decision I made. So, and what yeah. I mean by that is it was my choice to move up to the most expensive place, basically almost in the United States. Like, I'm not going to ask my parents and ask people for money to support me. Like this oh, was no. my decision. 
person. So I'm going to support myself if I, and there are times I asked for help, but those were like, I was like, maybe not going to have somewhere to live kind of help. So I did drop the pride a little bit, but for me, it's like, this was my, this was my first big thing on my own. Like this was my choice. Like I'm not going to ask somebody else to have to get overly involved and be complaining about it to someone else because this is my choice. Like I, yes. I made a decision at the end of the day, you know? And this is part of growing up. And I think that like, you know, I've said that college to me and then early, I think our earlier like post-college days, if you've gone to college, is this period of time where you're laying the foundation. And it's not because we haven't learned it before, but I think it really becomes like a consciousness or unconsciousness where you're really learning about setting goals and solving problems. Life is about a series of figuring out how do you get through, how do you, you know, how do you make it happen? How do you resolve that issue? That's what you're talking about is how did you, you know, you made a decision. Nobody else made that decision. Here you are. Now, how are you going to get it figured out? And I know that. I know that firsthand. I, I, I mean, in LA, um, there was some pretty, well, in Chicago too, but there, there definitely been some moments where it was like, it was nobody's problem, but my own. And no, it was not about trying to bring other people down. I might open up about things, but it was not about making it somebody else's problem. Problem. And trust me, plenty of people don't want that problem. And plenty of people walked away and they also showed who they were too. It wasn't about that. I was asking them for anything, but maybe just to sit and just be a warm body, not, not, not in an intimate way, just like know that your friendship really mattered. So that's also been like, in your figuring out, you get to see who people really are in their character as well, besides who your character is. That I think is a real reveal that people don't really talk about, but it's not a negative thing. It's a growing up thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, not, not negative at all. Now, as I've gotten older, I've been able to sort that out in my brain a little bit better. I mean, New York was so chaotic for me that (laughs) it was like on one hand, like I loved what I was doing, but outside of like the dancing and being at rehearsals was like my safe zone. Like even like going to games, like we would get meals. Like I would know where my dinners from that night. Like I was so comfortable there outside of it was, it was pretty chaotic. Again, like I was managing a long distance relationship that was hard. Uh, We didn't have a lot of money. We took the bus. I see my now husband uh, once every month or two, we were visiting each other. So that part was really stressful. He was early in his career. So he was, he wanted to live in New York city. That had been a dream of his, but he was early in his career and he just, he was applying for jobs and not getting them. I yeah. want to say my fourth year on the team, he had applied for a job and made it to the last two people. Yeah. And it was going back and forth in the interview. So at this point we had done four years long distance, which was chaotic. And yeah. we had gotten this close to actually being together and having that normalcy of, you know, and then he didn't get the job. And yeah. that was a huge turning point for me. Um, that like destroyed me yeah pretty hard it was interesting because my one of my friends 
uh, was getting married that year. And the um, morning of her wedding, I found out he didn't get the job. Like literally we were like heading to the wedding and he got in the phone call that he didn't get the job. Um, and another one of my friends, it was a college friend. Uh, we were going together and my husband was there and, uh, he told me, and I like went into like a depression in that moment. And then my other yeah. friend that was driving us was like, you need to get it together for so-and-so. And I said, yeah. okay. <laughs> and I literally flopped my brain like that, threw it in the back of my brain and had a great time at the wedding. Great um, life lesson. Great life lesson and a great friend who, who snapped you out of it yes. because not everybody cares enough to say, I not only love and care about you, I care about this person and we gotta, we gotta make this, we, we gotta, gotta get it right. together for her. You can be we depressed can cry later. later. Yeah. Feel yes. your feelings later, but that is <laughs> such a huge, and that, that speaks volume because not everybody has that support system in the right yes. place at the right time. Trust me, I know. And it's so interesting that we're, we're talking about in, in, in its own word without using the word struggle. Because I, I had that on my, my next question was, what have been your struggles? That, you know, early on in a career, like an artist's career, an artist's path, there are no guarantees. Not that there's any guarantees for a teacher or a lawyer or a stockbroker or an agent or, you know, but the road less traveled, i.e. the artist's way, is a throw that thing out there and let's see what, how it sticks and how many times you got to throw it to get any kind of like, and even that doesn't guarantee anything. I, yeah. I always said I probably rubbed two sticks together for the first 15 years of my career. The talent was there. Yeah. The opportunities came and went. But I was up against, you know, as we both know, this is a very competitive business. The competitiveness never ends. People are very hungry. People will do whatever they can. Some earn it because they know people. Some earn it because of how they look. Some earn it because they're in the right place at the right time and it's luck. Some earn it because they're truly gifted and should earn it. But as you know, there's a lot of, you know, scenarios that come into all that play. And then you talk about your now husband, you know, I, I know that my first marriage did not succeed for the mere fact that just there was so much emotional struggle with success and success, whether it happened or didn't happen in our careers. Yeah, and that was, a hard, that was a hard one to carry and take responsibility for for not only myself but somebody else. Yeah, I feel you on that. I, uh, you know, I when pe I we celebrate eleven years in June, and when I say that to people, well, I get two responses. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> "You don't look old enough to be married for eleven years." I'm like, "Thank you, thank you. I I appreciate that." <laughs> um, it's the awesome, other part, by the way. Um, what was that? It's awesome that you guys have, have 11 years of marriage together. That oh. says a lot. Yeah. I mean, again, it, you know, there's been a lot of struggle, but the other part of it is they're like, how, how they, it's mm -hmm. like a how question mark. And 
it's one of those things where I look, I look back on the earlier stages and even mm-hmm. now, but it, so I was a person like my dad, who's very like focused. Like my dad is in, my brother's the same way. He's an engineer, the professor at Iowa state. Um, we're very like, we do the things we love and we're very focused on them. So that's my natural personality. That's my natural tendency. And then yeah. I met Robbie, that's my husband. And I met him my senior year of college and it was very kind of unexpected. Like I met him my last semester and fell very quickly for him. Like I didn't date a lot in college, like very little. And I had no boyfriends in high school. So like I said, I was very focused on me and what I was doing and I loved what I was doing. So Robbie kind of came out of nowhere and in a way of like, I told him and many people, like I knew I wanted to marry him within two weeks. Like I was like, I'm, I'm going to marry him. I knew I was going to marry him very early on. Like I felt so comfortable with him early on. It mm-hmm. was just like, I'd known him forever. Mm-hmm. So and it was interesting because, and then I got this job with the NIC and I moved to New York and without hesitation, I took that job. Like, yeah, he was not even considered in the way of how are, it wasn't a consideration. Like, how are we going to make this work? Like there was no conversation. Like he went up, watched me audition. I, I got the job and then it just life started happening. So for me, it was like, even at that point, it was still like, my career first, my relationship second. And I'd say about three years into the Knicks, my husband has all the patience in the world. Like this would not have worked if he was not who he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he, he's, he's an easygoing person. He supported, you know, the situation. Now he is needier in the way of I am as in like, He's used to having like a lot of family nearby. Like I have a small family. He has a big family. They're used to being like huggy and that's not me. So like I could live without that because I didn't grow up with that, but he was different than me in that capacity. So I'd say like three years in is when I started noticing that like there was a need outside of myself (laughs) and he's not one to speak up, but that started becoming more of a um, common theme. So, which was fine. It, it opened me up more. Um, I will say that we got married my fourth year on the team. I thought I was leaving the team my fourth year. I realized I wasn't done yet. So our first year of marriage was actually longest too. Um, did you I have to audition that. every year? I'm sorry. Did you yes. have to audition? You did. Yeah. I did have to re-audition every year. And my fifth year on the team, which was my last, I was also a team captain. So I had more responsibilities. And I'd also just gotten married. So my fifth year on the team was crazy. That's the only way I could put it. It was mentally crazy and emotionally crazy. Like things I didn't realize I was going to be so passionate about, like my first Christmas with him. I didn't realize it until it was coming. And we have a, we have a game on Christmas day every year. Oh yeah. And there was a chance that I wasn't going to get off. And, and that like literally gave me like, um, like I was, it was physically making me ill. Yeah. Stressing about the job and being married. Yeah. Um, 
it was becoming a huge problem. But I will say, fortunately, my fifth year on the team happened and naturally without even being married, it was time for me to move on with life. So I will say that that timing, thank goodness, worked out how it should have. Um, it was just time for me. I love the team, but it was time for me to just kind of move on. So when you bring up struggle, yeah, it was a struggle. I mean, um, five years long distance. So when you, when you add the long distance, I got married, moved home to Southern Maryland. And then I was, I was married from, from, from dating long distance for five years. <laughs> so I left my, I had, you know, decided to leave New York and the Nick come home to Southern Maryland and be married. So my next two years, without a doubt, were probably the hardest years. That was such a fun first hour with Kimberly Padgett. And I cannot wait for you to join us for next week's part two of this continued conversation about the, uh, the journey of this dancer and her stories that lead her to her now current journey with performing and Pilates. Thank you so much for joining me around the campfire this week, and I look forward to you coming back next week. Bye for now. Much love.